Jesus does not just make unique claims about himself. There are claims of what it means. If he is the way, then one of the key implications is this. You are not. And I am not. We are not the way. We will not by anything in us get the key or make the way to the Father. Today on the Songtime broadcast, we'll continue our study with Dr. Brian Chappell as we're talking about Jesus' claim to be the way, the truth, and the life. It's a stark reminder that we cannot save ourselves, but we can come to Christ and know that He, who leads us through the valley of the shadow of death and fears no evil, will lead us all the way to our Heavenly Father. Stay tuned for that message, but first we're joined once again by Michael Glodo as we talk about his great book that delves into the richness of the ironic blessing. The many voices are coming together for that one message. I'm your host, Adam Miller. You're listening to Songtime Radio. As we've been working our way through the Gospel of John, what we're essentially doing is getting a, an eyewitness account of, of who Jesus is and hearing the very words of Jesus as he declared who he is to us, the I am statements, uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But we're hearing it from the beloved disciple, John, and he writes about Jesus because he wants you to feel the same way that he felt about Jesus. He writes in his first letter to the church in 1 John, that which we have seen and touched and heard. And, and this is the one who was closest to Jesus in, in that last final meal. He rested his, his head on Jesus' shoulder. That is the sort of closeness that the Apostle John wants us to feel and experience in our relationship with Jesus, having not physically seen him, but yet still are able to know him so that we can see him face to face. Well, in that same message, there is something tied to the ironic blessing. And this week, we've been talking with author Michael Glodo about his book called The Lord Bless You and Keep You. And of course, that comes from the ironic blessing to make his face shine upon you. Seeing how this ties to our our New Testament studies and the Gospel of John, I think that there's something here, Michael, that that really ties in with what John wants us to experience, what John is trying to express to us that is tying the ironic blessing with what he experienced in his relationship with Jesus. Yeah, it, 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 even in, in, in John's vision in the Revelation, his face shone like the sun, right? Um, and Jesus promised that uh, blessed are those who uh, hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they'll see God. Um, and, and, and the reason this is so wonderful, Adam, is that God is himself perfect blessedness. Uh, my president and colleague scott swain uh talks about the happy god now uh that probably needs explanation but it, it, in the scriptures uh there's a word a greek word where which is used to describe how we bless god uh but there's there's also another word uh which means blessed or happy makarios in the greek it's the same word they used in the beatitudes you know blessed are the poor blessed are those who hunger and so forth and that word is used to describe god mm-hmm. in other words god is blessedness within himself god is bliss within himself god is 
the essence of everything good. And so our blessedness is derivative of God's inherent nature as the one who is blessed. When Jesus said, I have come that may, they may have life and have it abundantly, he's talking about this life that is the bliss of, of sharing in the divine life. Not that we become divine, but that the life of God uh, is imparted to us. And that's why God's people are happy and blessed because they share in God's uh, uh, essence. And so, um, the the face and this is where the kind of the book begins the the face just on a human level the face is how you know people the face is how you relate to people the face is how we recognize one another and so the scripture uses this god inspires this metaphor to not just talk about you know icons painted on a wall or something but actually god's very person and presence I love this imagery. It's it's something that we can also understand and relate to. It obviously has some very Jewish roots to it, I think, you know, with the idea of, of being able to look somebody in the face when you make an agreement with them and sort of a covenant with them. Uh, but it also reflects to our, our most our most immediate need, doesn't it? That we we want to be able to lift up our face and, and be accepted and be received by Jesus. Uh, very often, I think that we approach God with a, with a face down on the ground because we're ashamed of, of the way it's that we so have It's so relational. It's so relational, Adam. I mean, any parent whose child has misbehaved and knows that, you know, and the parent approaches them, you know, they, they have their face down, maybe, maybe their bottom lips just quivering a little bit and, you know, the wise and sensitive parent knows, you know, this is not a time to belittle or shame. The child feels the shame. And, you know, I, I, I'm sure sometime when I was a child, you know, my mom or dad, they probably put their fingers under my chin and kind of raised my head. I know I did that with my own children uh, because with the face, uh, uh, it, it, the, 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 the face tells us how somebody feels about us. The face tells us where we stand with someone else. And uh, there's an illustration in the the opening chapter of a, a, a portrait artist who says, you know, that the face has all these different muscles that do all these things. And and there's this is why you know text messaging <laughs> and email don't always communicate what we mean, right? Because we don't see faces. And and so knowing that God, well, Jude 24 and 25, that we can stand in God's presence, blameless with great joy, uh, means we know that God loves us, that our sins have been uh, atoned for, and that we're 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 there to be with Him, and and nothing's going to change that. Yeah. My dad was a pastor, and uh, I learned a great deal from him, especially when it comes to children and children's ministry. And my dad said, you always have to get down at their level. And so whenever he was talking with a little kid, he'd get down on one knee, and he'd look him directly in the eyes, face to face. And I think there's something really sweet about that. There's something that we're seeing. There's a gospel here of Christ becoming like us uh, and becoming into our world and connecting with us so that we can be exalted with him so that we can see God face to face. When I uh, was a pastor, there was a family whose last name was Cave. Uh, 
if you're all listening, why well, I, I haven't seen you in years, but uh, reach out to them. <laughs> <tell me. laughs> um, but they had three boys, and the boys were very rambunctious, uh, always on the move. And one of our elders' wives was just one of those legendary school teachers. She was a kid whisperer. And these boys would just be bouncing off the walls. And Mrs. Kaufman had this way, just like you're saying, and she would get down on her knees and she would put her hands on, like stabilize the face of these these boys and talk to them. And it was, they, the calm would just come over them because it was impossible to remain like a Super Bowl when you have that kind of personal attention. And um, and and that's that's an important element in this this book. It's a weird book because it does biblical theology from Genesis to maps, as a friend of mine says. But and it goes to worship. But one of the one of the really important areas it goes to is anthropology, meaning the biblical view of man. And there's there's a chapter that talks about how uh, God's face shining upon us should change the way we look at other people because every human being is an image of our creator and and that the knowledge of that is supposed to revolutionize our our ethic which mm. i mean it was radical in the ancient world right both in the ancient near east and in the greco-roman world to say that every human being had equal value and status revolutionary. We've been talking with Michael Glodo about his book. It's called The Lord Bless You and Keep You, The Promise of the Gospel and the Ironic Blessing. Of course, that ironic blessing, the Lord bless you, the Lord keep you, the Lord make his face shine upon you. That is exactly what the Apostle John wants you to experience. The love, the the shining and the radiance of Christ in you and on you in your life. It, this is a great book, and it fits in perfectly with our study in the Gospel of John this year. So if you'd like to find out more information, please give our office a call. It's 508-362-7070, or you can head over to our website at songtime.com. Well, speaking of our study in the Gospel of John, in this message from Dr. Brian Chapel, we're breaking down the I Am statement of Jesus, that he claimed to be the exclusive way, the exclusive truth, the exclusive life. This isn't kind of a, a, a unique statement of Jesus because he's already been saying those statements throughout his entire ministry, all the way back to when he talked to Mary and said, my hour has not yet come. Like, this, is, this is what he's here for, not the you know turning uh, water into wine, uh, but to show his glory, what he was actually meant to do, to, to bring us to God and pr- to bring God to us. That is who Jesus is, and he is the exclusive means for our access to God. No one comes to the Father except through him. That means that we can't do this on our own. And that might sound like really bad news, but the truth is, it's good news that we don't have to do this on our own. We have somebody who has already gone before us, and we can look to him, we can trust in him, and we can we can receive the gift that he has come to offer to mankind. Here is Dr. Brian Chapel with a closer look at the statement of Jesus, the I am statement of Jesus, that he is the way, the truth, and the life in John chapter 14. Jesus does not just make unique claims about himself. There are claims of what it means. If he is the way, 
then one of the key implications is this. You are not. And I am not. We are not the way. We will not by anything in us get the key or make the way to the Father. Jesus is the way. And the reasons for that are being expressed here. The human limitations are just in such kind of stark display. Here are the best of the human efforts. Simon Peter says, 1336, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I'm going, you cannot follow. Verse 37, Lord, why can I not follow? I'll lay down my life for you. Oh, really? Before the cock crows, you'll deny me three times. The best of human effort. And of course, it's not just Peter's flaws that are on display. Think about Thomas. If you look at chapter 14 and verse 5, remember? Thomas, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? What do you mean you do not know where I'm going? I've told you I'm going to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will die. And on the third day he will rise. What do you mean you don't know? Which means, of course, he's deaf. He's just not listening. And, and, and that's followed, of course, by the blindness of Philip in 14.8. Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father. It's enough for us. Jesus, How long have I been with you? And you do not see. I'm in the Father. The Father's in me. If you see me, you see the Father. You know, you kind of get a little bit of the parental. How many times am I going to have to tell you? <laughs> but, but this is the absolute best of humans that are weak and deaf and blind to the things of the gospel where Jesus is saying, I've got to do something for you. And of course, he's declaring the wonder and the goodness of that. Remember? Verse 2, I'll prepare a place. Verse 6, I'll make a way. Verse 3, I'll come back and get you. (laughs) Of course, what it is is the great message of the grace of God. You can't do this. You're not the way. If Jesus is the way, he has to make it available. And he can because he's divine. Now, we love that message. We, we love knowing that in our weakness, in our frailty, in our sin, that, that, that Jesus can and is willing to make a way. And that's the great measure and expression of his grace. But now we get to the other limitation. The other seeming exclusivity. Because if Jesus is the way, that, that doesn't just mean that you and I are not the way. It also means that others are not the way. And Jesus is clearly saying that as well. You remember the end of verse 6 of John 14. Jesus said to Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. It's a consistent message of the Bible, lest we misunderstand. Sorry. I mean, you could, you know, if it were the only place it were said, you you might find some way to scoot around it. But I began this worship service today with Isaiah. I am the Lord and there is no other. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. 
And you remember these apostles will say in Acts now as they begin to express the ministry of Jesus. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. There is an exclusivity that cannot be avoided. And, and as I say that, the reason is because Jesus has just explained there is human liability that must be overcome by divine ability. That the Christian message is Jesus must be the way because God, as the divine provider, must make a way and you cannot do it and I cannot do it and no one else can do it. You say, well, don't all religions say that? Well, no, that is not what all religions say. Listen, I I, I know it's simple, but it is an important thing to remember. The exclusive claim of the Christian religion is that we could not work our way up to God, so he worked his way down to us. And all other religions are claiming that there must be something in humanity that works itself to God. And, and Christianity is saying, that won't work. God must work his way to us and, and simply saying, well, all religions are kind of the same and kind of teach the same thing, so we shouldn't be exclusive. Well, candidly, that's just not being intellectually honest. Eastern religions say that we escape the flesh by human effort or some form of mental focus. But Christianity says God came in the flesh not to escape the flesh, to redeem flesh and to perfect our world, not to escape it. Animistic religions say that we will pacify gods or the god, whatever it is, by the sacrifice of something dear to us. Christianity says God satisfied his wrath that was just by the sacrifice of something that was dear to him. His own son sent among us. The old Abrahamic religions, by which we would say are either Judaism or Islam, say that you earn divine approval by human righteousness to a sufficient degree, whatever that is. Whereas Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so he became righteousness a perfect life, and a sacrificial death on our behalf. Listen, I'm, for the moment, I'm not asking you to accept all of those things. I simply want you to recognize, to be intellectually honest, it makes no sense to say all religions are basically the same. It, it, they are not the same. They, they are saying very different things. And, and if we don't recognize that, we actually have failed to do some very honest things that are required of anybody who is exploring their faith. When Jesus says that he's the good shepherd, what he's doing is he's calling people to himself, those those weary and troubled and those who have been abused by religion, those who have been abused by by legalism and manipulations of the Bible that are are missing the point. And, And Jesus is saying, my sheep hear my voice and they know me and they come to me and they know that they are safe with me. When Jesus is saying that I'm the way, the truth, and the life, he is making, without a doubt, an exclusive claim that he is the only way to the Father. 
But what he is saying is that I will take you to the Father. I mean, everyone else is sort of a a false salesman. There are many uh, hired hands. There are many thieves who break in and steal. And all of them are are crying out in the same thing, saying, well, I'll take you to the Father. I'll do the right thing. I'll I'll protect you. Uh, But they are liars. (laughs) They are thieves. They are destroyers. They are wolves in sheep's clothing. And that is what Jesus is warning us about. He is saying in his exclusive claim to be the Christ, the the Son of God, to be the only way, the only truth, the only life. What he is saying is that I actually can take you to the salvation that you're seeking. So, We have to be very careful at how we filter out the noises in our lives, the many voices that are not preaching that one message, because I have to tell you, there are, they are many and they are diverse and they are all so good. They have silver tongues. They know exactly what to say and how to say it to capture your attention and to draw you in. But there is a great warning here that if they are not preaching Christ and Christ alone, they are preaching a false gospel because this is what Jesus said about himself. And that is good news because he can effectively do what he says he will do. He is the light of the world. He shines that light and he sets prisoners free. He is the bread of life. He will satisfy your soul. He will give you living water so you will never thirst anymore. Can you have a better offer? And yet, after making these exclusive claims, many of the people in Jesus' day, they turned their backs and they walked away. But when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, you can guarantee that he says what he means and he means what he says, and he will keep his promise that if you trust in him, you will not perish, but have eternal life. (laughs) I don't know how else to say it. I really don't know how else to articulate it in, in, in any way that other than what Christ has already said. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. That is good news. Is that news that you're able to share with other people? Absolutely. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We belong to him. And and that message should give us hope. If we've been able to encourage you, let us know. Write to us at Songtime Radio, P.O. Box 100, Barnstable, Massachusetts, 02630, or give us a call. It's 508-362-7070. That's 508-362-7070. You can also head over to our website at songtime.com or look us up on social media. But don't forget to tune in again tomorrow. We'll wrap up this week's study looking at Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life and asking this question, if that's true, what does it mean if we keep that to ourselves? If we don't share it with other people, then that is not loving. If Christ is not only a true way, but the true way, and we do not proclaim him, it does great harm to withhold the true way that we know. On behalf of everyone here at Songtime, we want to thank you for listening. From Cape Cod, I'm Adam Miller with our theme verse, John 13, 34-35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another.